Psalm 114 praises God for the deliverance of his people from Egypt. Often this psalm would be sung during the Passover season. To set the stage, some 600 years before the Exodus, God made a covenant with Abraham to be his God and for his descendants to be God's people. In that covenant, God promised to give Abraham and his descendants a land where they could dwell in his presence. Fast forward, Abraham's descendants now found themselves enslaved and oppressed in a land not their own. But God remembered his covenant with Abraham to be their God. And as such, he delivered them and brought them out of Egypt into their own land so that he could dwell in their midst. You know, as believers, when we think about Psalm 114 and God's deliverance, we can't help but think of our own deliverance from the enslavement, not to Egypt, but enslavement and oppression from sin and Satan. God has delivered us into his presence. God now dwells in our midst as he dwelt in their midst. And as we work our way through Psalm 114, let's look for those parallels between what God did in the past for Israel and what God is doing presently for us. We're going to begin in verses 1 through 2 with the outgoing. Verses 3 through 6, the obstacles, and then verse 7 and 8, the omnipotence. Psalm 114, a song of deliverance. Verse 1 and 2, the outgoing. When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Now verse 1 begins with the event of the exodus. And the result of Israel's going out of Egypt is that Judah, a single tribe here representing the whole and parallel to Israel, became his, God's, sanctuary, that is his holy place, and Israel his dominion or kingdom. See, God redeemed his people so that he could dwell with them, so that they would be holy as he is holy. God, or excuse me, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Exodus 33, 15, and 16. Now think about some of the parallels there to us as believers. God has redeemed us, as I said, from sin and Satan. He's redeemed us in order that he might dwell with us. He abides in us and us in him. And he commands us to be holy as he is holy. Furthermore, he resides within us uh, through his spirit as the temple of his Holy Spirit. Now, along with God's presence, Israel is unique because she is his dominion or his kingdom. Now, we're part of that kingdom, the kingdom of God. God is king, the chosen people are his subjects, where his rule and reign will be displayed. God will dwell and rule in the midst of his people. And what was true then is also true now. As the church, we're not supposed to be known for our impressive buildings. The church is not supposed to be known for its relevant programs. The church is supposed to be known as a people in whom God is present and over whom he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. That's why Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. That's why he called his hearers to enter the kingdom of God. He came to establish the rule of God in our midst. And he brought the presence of God to us. Now verse 3 through 6, we have the obstacles. The sea looked and fled. 
the Jordan turned back, the mountain skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, O that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. The psalmist describes Israel's journey from Egypt to the promised land by recalling what nature did before God's people. First of all, the sea looked and fled, a clear reference to the parting of the Red Sea when Israel passed through on the dry ground and Pharaoh's pursuing chariots were submerged. Next, Jordan turned back. Here the psalmist recalls the parting of the Jordan River before Israel when she entered into the land under Joshua. And then the mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. Now, some have thought this to be a reference to the earthquaking at the giving of the law, but the sequence here doesn't fit. What the sequence fits better with is the conquest of the promised land, which included military campaigns throughout the what? Hill country. So the skipping of the mountains and hills is a reference to the destruction of the surrounding people and nations in the hill countries. Again, the parallels are similar. When God redeemed his people, nature was put on notice. And when God redeemed humanity at the cross, nature was put on notice. I mean, think about all the events that surrounded the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the three hours of darkness to uh, the, the graves opening and, and the spirits of people walking about the earth, uh, the rendering of the, the veil in the temple the, the, from the great earthquake that occurred, all of these things that were happening, again, are key to God's redemptive plan. Whenever God steps in into the midst of humanity, there is action. Finally, verse 7 and 8, we see the omnipotence. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. Here Yahweh is making Judah his sanctuary and Israel his dominion, and it causes that uproar in nature. Here's the Creator, the Lord of creation, acting on behalf of his people. And so the imperative in verse 7 is also descriptive of what happened in the Exodus. Tremble, literally, be pained, O earth. Before, the word before could mean in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the God of Jacob. See, the earth responds to Yahweh because he makes it a vehicle for him to act. Because as I said a moment ago, when God comes, things happen. One further example, beyond the sea parting and the mountain shaking is offered in verse 8. Our God is the God who turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a fountain of water. We can't not help but think back to Moses commanding water from the rock and quenched Israel's thirst to demonstrate that he was in their midst. What a bold personification to say that all creation recognized and obeyed the Creator's will. Indeed, the Lord's presence in the Old and the New Testament is frequently evidenced by displays of His power. How many times did Jesus display His mighty power? Whether it was the calming of the storm, whether it was the feeding of 5,000 or the feeding of 4,000, the healing of the lame, the blind, uh, so on and so forth, all of those miraculous things he did is a demonstration that he is creator, and as creator he has authority and all power over creation. You know, what made Israel special is the same thing that makes us as the church special. And it's very clear here in this psalm. It is the having the presence of the living God in our midst.
You know, he delivered Israel out of Egypt so that he could be in their midst. And he's delivered us from sin and Satan so he can be in our midst. You know, when Jesus entered into his messianic ministry, demons were cast out, the sick were healed, God's powerful presence, God's dominion manifested. And so, where is God today in the midst of the church? Are we seeing the power of God on display or not? If you're not seeing the power of God on display, then God's presence isn't there. God isn't in the midst. But where we see God work, where we see God act, where we see God doing something, then you can count on this, that God is in our midst. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. My people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven forgive their sins, and will heal their land. My friends, if God is not in your midst, if you are not seeing God miraculously, powerfully working in your life, and it doesn't have to be in these mighty things, but it's just in the little ways. If you're not seeing God working in your midst, it's because God's presence isn't, isn't in your midst. And if it's not in your midst, believer, then you need to invoke Second Chronicles 7.14. You've been called by His name. You're called a Christian for a reason. You need to humble yourself. You need to pray, you need to seek Him, you need to repent of any sin, any wicked way. And then, and only then, will He hear you, will He forgive your sin, and will He begin the healing process and begin to show Himself in your midst. Psalm 114, a song of deliverance. Praise God for the deliverance we were given at the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank and praise you for the great deliverance of the past that pointed forward to another great deliverance. That's our deliverance from sin, from suffering, from Satan. Deliverance, Father, from judgment. That judgment called the lake of fire, that eternal damnation, separated from you, of torment. Father God, I thank you not only for delivering me, but for the reason you delivered me. You just didn't deliver me to get me out of hell and the lake of fire. You delivered me so that you could be glorified. And you're most glorified by dwelling in the midst of your people. Father, as we take this moment to pray, I'd ask, Lord, that each of us might examine whether or not you're in our midst. First and foremost, are you in our midst individually? Is there anything in our lives, Lord, that is keeping you from displaying yourself, from making yourself known to us, from us experiencing your presence, having you work in our lives, lead in our lives, direct in our lives? Father, if there is some wickedness, some sin, whatever it may be, Father, may we confess it, may we forsake it as we humble ourselves and, and seek you, that you might hear us. And Father, collectively as, as a church, whatever church we may be a part of, Father, I would ask and pray that, Lord, we might look at our church and ask if your presence is there. And if not, why not? And when we identify the reason your presence isn't there, Lord, might we cry out to you and confess whatever it may be. Turn from that thing 
that attitude, that desire, that worldview, whatever it may be, so that you would turn your face back to us. Again, Father, we're so thankful for deliverance. We can't thank you enough for the fact that you stepped in, not once, but at least twice, though we know there's so many more times, but two major times you stepped in to deliver your people. Father, I pray that we would honor that in how we live our lives, that we might live our lives to glorify and honor you in all that we say and do. We pray in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.